Hello, you're welcome to Evira the Minister for Education from OnShot.net. My dream job. The best talks I ever saw live happened in the same conference. It was the IPPN conference in 2012. Now, if you can imagine this as a lineup Mary Robinson, who I don't think needs any introduction, Michael Fullan, one of the world's greatest thinkers in education, Ben Waldron, a Shakespearean actor who tours the world giving talks on leadership, and David Putnam, the film director and a former advisor on education to the UK government. They don't make conferences like that anymore. The reason I bring this conference up is because of the last name, David Putnam, who was talking about educational leadership at the time. And while many of us have said this since, it was the first time I heard somebody say, the children we are teaching today will be doing jobs that do not yet exist. And over 10 years later, we're seeing the saplings of these seeds emerging. For example, there is no such thing as a social media influencer or an e-sports coach, never mind a podcast producer. And in this episode, I want to tell you about my dream job. It's one that also doesn't exist. Yet. And if I were the Minister for Education, I'd not only be creating the job, I'd be quitting my ministry and taking it on myself. Hello, hello, this is Simon Lewis from Onshaw.net with If I Were the Minister for Education, a regular podcast where I look at the world of primary education and I wonder what I would do if I were the Minister for Education. You can subscribe to this podcast on any of your favourite podcasting apps and please tell your teacher friends or anyone else who might be interested in primary education. Well, as this episode is going out and you're a primary school teacher, it's more than likely than not really that the word communion is on your mind. In your school, there's likely to be a big buzz and the big day and either you are the teacher preparing the children or you are the teacher of the class that will be singing in the choir or you might be the teacher that has to play the piano at the ceremony or you might be the principal that has to stand at the altar and tell everyone what an important occasion the event is. You may not be directly involved of course but it's likely that nobody is paying much attention to your class as a result. Even in my bubble communion talk is unavoidable. My son is in second class this year and I've spent the whole year preparing myself for the moment somebody asks me what class he's in and when I answer for them to automatically say oh communion to which I prepared many fantasy conversations which start with me saying oh no no we're not religious. Now You don't need another episode of this podcast of me talking about Middle Ireland's hypocrisy when it comes to its relationship with the Catholic Church. What I want to do in this episode is to go through another fantasy conversation. And in this fantasy, the Catholic Church hierarchy have decided 
that they're finally going to do the right thing and hand over the control of all of their schools to the state and almost all primary schools will become multi-denominational or normal schools as most people outside of Ireland would likely describe them. In my fantasy, the reconfiguration pilot will be a roaring success, so much so that the hierarchy realise that there is no advantage whatsoever to forcing religion on children and that those that wish to have religion can do so in places, these interesting places called churches, where qualified theologians called priests can perform their mission instead of outsourcing it to teachers, some of whom aren't even Catholic themselves. Anyway, some people are surprised when I say sentences like that. So entrenched is the tangling of faith formation with primary education in Ireland. In any case, in my fantasy, a deal is done that the church pay off their debts for sexually abusing children and the schools are handed over to the state. And this is where my dream job comes in. It doesn't exist yet, but this is my dream job. I haven't thought of a name for it yet either, but I kind of like the sound of this. A Catholic converter. Huh? Get it? <laughs> so I'm going to go with that for the moment. Codename Catholic converter. Now, a Catholic converter position is one where a person goes to schools, helping them convert from being a Catholic school to being a normal school. And in my fantasy, I will be allowed to call schools that are multi-denominational normal schools, mainly as revenge for the amount of times people currently ask me what the difference between educate or what the difference between Catholic schools and normal schools is, as if there's or sorry, what the difference between educate together and normal schools is. I got confused there. Sorry, <laughs> um, as if there's anything normal about promoting one religion over all others in ninety percent of schools. But I'm getting carried away, so let's just agree that in this new age, I will be in charge of the conversion and I will be going into the schools to hold their hand through the change. I want to describe what my dream job would look like. And to be honest, you might be surprised to hear that it won't take that long. Hence, my very long introduction into basically describing what the job will be called. Now, me and my fantasy SWAT team would be launched to spread the word about the changes schools could expect, the big things and the small things. And it won't just be religious things that will change. For example, single-sex schools would have to disappear. Bus transport and insurance costs would all change thanks to the bizarre link with their denomina with denominational uh, education too. I'll get to that. So let's delve into my dream job, what it would look like on the ground and in the classroom. So ideally, in my dream job, it wouldn't just be Catholic schools reconfiguring, but it should be fairly easy to substitute other faiths into this little fantasy. So let me just make that point. Anyway, first things first, and let's get this totally out of the way. 95% of things wouldn't change at all. I think people are surprised when I say this, and maybe they aren't surprised, but really, about 95% of things wouldn't change at all. The school would still retain the same teachers, SNAs, pupils, families, and so on. And seniority wouldn't change, the curriculum wouldn't change, and despite it being my fantasy, I'll probably concede that the teachers will probably be allowed to be called Mr. and Miss. I mean, they can call them Milady and the Lord for all I care. Um, 
And I will probably have to concede on that. And yes, I'll probably have to let kids wear a uniform despite my feelings on those too. But sometimes you can't get everything you want, even if it is your own fantasy. Obviously, though, if the crest on the uniform has religious emblems on them currently in these Catholic schools, when they move to be normal schools, it will be time to revisit that. So that's one change that might spark outrage among people that think forcing people to wear religious symbols, even if they aren't that religion, is acceptable. Think of your own school uniform if it has a crucifix on it and think how a Jewish kid must feel having to wear that. Anyway, many schools these days have changed their school crest and get the children involved in it and this would be part of the process. However, as we'll see, things do get a little complicated in some places for a little while before becoming very simple again. You see, we can't have a new crest without, I suppose, if we're removing a cross or a crucifix from a crest, we also can't really have saints' names for schools. Yes, in the business of Catholic converting, it's not cool to have a school named after a Christian saint or a significant Catholic person. Now, I'm only, I suppose I can only say that to a point, because to be honest, I don't particularly have a problem with the school being named after a saint. Um, I guess if the school is in an area named after a saint, for example, St. Stephen's Green in Dublin. So, um, and there's a school in St. Stephen's Green, I'm sure some of you might know that if you're from that neck of the woods, or it's a posh school, Loretto Junior. Uh, so Loretto Junior School on St. Stephen's Green, or Loretto on the Green as it's colloquially known, might change to St. Stephen's Green National School. And ironically, that actually makes it sound more religious than Loretto on the Green. But, you know, I, as I said, you got to pick these examples. No, no, um, no change is going to be 100% perfect. Or, of course, whatever I say, even the outraged will be outraged about that. Um, even though schools do change their name, um, not all the time, but it isn't uncommon. And sometimes because the name of the person the school is named after may have, I don't know, covered up sex abuse or something, you know, like Archbishop McQuaid National School in Lachlanstown, which was renamed St. Columbanus National School. Anyway, schools would be named after the place they are rather than the religious figure. So obviously, that's an imperfect science, as we've just seen. And let, we are actually going to have to talk about this because, funnily enough, the most complicated thing about Catholic converting is changing the name of the school. It, 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 it seems bizarre. But hear me out. This is actually going to be quite difficult in some places. Um, so despite my, I mean, I have a very reasonable allowance for some schools to have saints' names in them. Where they're, uh, you know, only when they're geographically situated there you're probably jumping up and down in your seat already shouting, but what about schools on the same campus, you big idiot, Lewis? Or what about a town with loads of schools? Yeah, yeah, imbecile, Simon, what are you going to do about that? You might offer to me, um, but don't worry, I've already thought this one through. It's a very, I fantasise this about this a lot. Much like those clever Protestants who have school number one and school number two, if they've more than one school in a village or town, I'm going to take a leaf out of their book However, I will admit it does open up a few cans of worms and I am very comfortable with that. But a lot of people aren't. Namely, what are we going to do about the single sex schools? Because if mainly when you have um, a boys school and a girls school, they're usually beside each other and then they're going to have to become two schools. So what are you going to name them? So I'm going to pick a town and I'm going to pick a town that I'm very familiar with because I live there and that's Carlo. And I know all the primary schools there, 
I'm not, I'm saying none of this with judgment. I'm basically using them as examples because they're, they could probably map onto most um, towns. I mean, I like, for example, if I lived in the middle of nowhere, so for example, where my wife is from, Rossport in Mayo, you know, it's very, I mean, the school's already called Rossport National School. You wouldn't have to change the name. There is only one school in the village. But when we're in a town, that's different. So let's go with uh, Carlo. And we have a simple example. Let's go with the easiest example. It's a it's a mixed school. It's called St. Felix National School. It's in a place called Great Cullen. And it would be known as Great Cullen National School. It kind of is already. So there's got, you know, the way some towns they have, um, they, they name the official name of the school is St. Felix, but most people call it Great National School or Great, Great, Great Cullen National School because it's the only primary school in that part of Carlo. It's actually even in Leash, I think, technically. And if another one opens up on a different road, let's say Great Cullen expanded and it has been as a, as a as sort of a village tagged onto uh, Carlo Town, the new one might be named after the road of that where it where it's situated, and uh, it's very likely uh, that it won't be on the same road as the current school because uh, well traffic I guess. The trouble with Carlo is that this is the only mixed Catholic English speaking primary school in the town, so we better move to a different part of the town and we'll go to Station Road which is where the train is. See, you can name places very easily after what they are. Station Road for a train where the train station is. Anyway, there's three schools, three primary schools on uh, Station Road and it's, yes, it's one of those mad setups where you have a junior boys school, a senior boys school and a girls school. So first thing first, in my fantasy, single sex schools are outlaws. I mean, I don't think that's very controversial anymore. But um, some people seem to, for whatever reason, want to hang on to this idea. You know, it's a weird, archaic idea that boys and girls should be kept separately. But in reality, I think most people, if you ask them, do you think it's a good idea to have single sex schools at primary level? And it wasn't their school that was going to change. They would say, yeah, it's a silly idea. But anyway, let's uh, let's uh, we're going to we're going to get rid of single sex schools. And the reason for this, obviously, is, you know, as I say, because I mean, quite frankly, single sex schools are a stupid idea. Um, there are a few possibilities here with these three schools. For example, if the schools can amalgamate into one school, that to me is a very good idea. Um, and that would make Station Road a national school. But if that makes the schools too big, though I don't think it would, uh, and there are lots of schools that have amalgamated with, and they have over 1,000 pupils and they work totally fine, then we might be able to have two separate schools or maybe three schools. And in the case of this setup, because I know it, I'd be making them into two schools and I would call them Station Road National School, North or South, or east and west, or red or blue, or one and two. I don't really mind what they call them. The thing is, it doesn't really matter what we call them. What's the difference between Station Road North National School and Station Road Blue National School? Nothing really. I don't think it makes any difference. So that's what I do there. So let's move to Aska, uh, which is another part of Carlo Town. And we already have Aska Boys and Aska Girls, as they're known locally, despite both of them officially being called Holy Family National School. Now, if they amalgamated, it could simply be called Aska National School. But if they wanted to be two schools, we could have Aska Red National School and Aska Blue National School or something like that. Do you see how it works? Now, I didn't mention this, but if we're expecting denominational schools to change their names, I don't think it's fair that we'd ask, not multi-denominational schools, normal schools to also change names if we're going to fall into a state model. That means the Educate Together schools and the Community National schools would also have to change their names. So my school is situated in the uh, on the Athai Road. So I would suggest that it would transform to Athai Road 
National School, for example. But, 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 but you might say, but, but, but what about the schools in a thigh? You might react. If you call your school a thigh road national school, won't people, you know, go to a thigh? Uh, or what about the schools in a thigh? Won't it be all so confusing? Well, the answer to your question is no. It's no more confusing than calling a school St. Patrick's National School, which gives no indication whatsoever to where it is. We don't have any shared campuses as such in Carlo Town, but I'd envisage a similar solution to the clusters of schools I mentioned, like Aska's and the Station Roads. But let's go to that very confusing place of a tie. And uh, there is a campus there on the Monaster Revan Road with three primary schools. And we can easily call them the Monaster Revan Road Green National School, Blue National School, Red National School, and so on. And really, will the people in Monaster Revan show up at these places? I don't think so. To be honest, renaming and reorganising schools is about as difficult as all of this is going to get. And after that, it all gets very easy indeed. It's so easy that it's almost disappointing because there's only one big change. And that one big change when it comes to Catholic converting is religious education, a.k.a. faith formation, a.k.a. religious indoctrination. Ultimately, the solution already exists. Rather than teaching the Grow and Love programme, Catholic converted schools would teach an ethical education programme. I can't imagine the church agreeing to educate together's perfectly reasonable curriculum, but I can see them agreeing to the also perfectly reasonable goodness me, goodness you curriculum that the CNS offers or the ERBE curriculum, which is not being taught anywhere at the moment. In fact, if it's going to be good enough for the for a former Catholic school to do, when they reconfigure to go do a do a program like Goodness Me Goodness You, it would become a new national ethical education curriculum for all national schools and would make sense. One possible unintended consequence of this is that it might not now need a full two hours a week. So we could potentially reduce the amount of time on this new curriculum subject and uh, replace it with something like literacy or numeracy or some other subjects that aren't getting enough time. I think this is where the most interesting part of my Catholic converter job would come in. Training teachers in an ethical education programme instead of a faith-forming programme. Now, I've been listening to another podcast that's published by DCU and it focuses on Catholic education in primary schools. And before you ask, yes, DCU is supposed to be a secular university. And no, before you ask, they haven't made any podcasts aimed at education at multi-denominational level. However, I'm listening to it religiously. Hey, get it? Um, Because I have a theory about Catholic education and Catholic ethos and Catholic schools. And the more and more I'm listening to it, the more and more I am convinced that my theory about Catholic schools is right. I don't think, and I'm saying this quite bluntly, I don't think Catholic schools understand why people like me give out about them being exclusive or not inclusive, because I don't think they understand what inclusion means and that merely having good intentions is the same as inclusion. Now, the presenter of the show, is, he's a really, really good guy. Really, I actually quite like him. Um, and But, you know, in, in one of his episodes, he summed it up really well when he defined inclusion as inviting everyone in. And for me, I think that's a really good definition. 
But here's where the trouble is. A school shouldn't need to invite people in. There shouldn't be invitations needed at all. No matter who you are or where you come from, or most importantly in this case, whatever you believe, you shouldn't need an invitation to come in. The whole of you should be welcome without one. Now, I think the first episode of the podcast is a fascinating insight to the world of Catholic education. I'd highly recommend that you listen to it and listen to it with a critical ear and how it tackles issues like other faith groups or the non-believers, women in the clergy, gay people and so on. Now, I'm not interested in slagging it off because it's actually a very good podcast, but it did nothing to convince me that Catholic schools are inclusive to any of those groups unless they wished to become part of a Catholic community. In fact, in one soundbite that was pretty much inferred, really, it was pretty much inferred. Essentially, to paraphrase it, just so you know, we will include you and welcome you to join our Catholic community. The examples given were to sit at the back of the church for the sacraments or to join in the non-religious bits of in, uh, faith formation lessons. Now, there's I I I I don't really like phrases. I mean, I do like phrases. I like kind of uh, quotes and things of like that. But uh, one of my favourite quotes is from Groucho Marx, and it reminds me of his: "I don't want to belong to any club that will accept me as a member. Why would I want to be part of a Catholic community when I am not Catholic? I'm I I just don't understand why there would be the arrogance to suggest." that I should become part of that community when I just don't believe in any of it. However, the point I'm kind of clumsily trying to make is that I don't think it's very difficult to train a teacher in a Catholic school into a multi-denominational ethical curriculum. And the reason being that even the most dogmatic ones are essentially trying to teach an ethical curriculum anyway, albeit with a Catholic manual. The example lesson given by the teacher being interviewed in the podcast was a Bible story. Of course, it was a Bible story, and, and absolutely rightly so for a Catholic school. And the power, it was the parable of the vineyard workers, which is supposed to teach about fairness. Um, and the teacher in the podcast spoke about how proud she was because the lesson also engaged her non-religious children. Now, I would have loved to have explored with her a little more as to why she thought the non-religious kids were engaged and whether there might have been another way to explore this. You know, I mean, the, the, because... I think she thought this is Catholicism working and being inclusive. You know, the thing, it, it, the thing, the thing about it was the lesson wasn't actually about Jesus. Really, Jesus was the was I let's say the uh, I don't know the catalyst for the for the story uh, for the story uh, the story. Uh, you know, but he, the lesson wasn't actually religious. It was about the concept of fairness, and the story surrounding the lesson was a Christian one rather than there. And to be fair. There's absolutely no harm in that at all. I often use Christian stories in ethical education programs in in a, in a, in a normal school, in a multi-denominational school. They're good stories. I mean, you know, the religion wouldn't have caught on if they didn't have good stories, in fairness. And the thing is, I would use religions give good stories and they're useful for teaching messages and teaching concepts. But if I'm giving a Christian story or I'm giving another story of a different faith, it's very good to litter it with stories from other sources. So, for example, in that story of the parable of the vineyard workers, 
What about, you know, an Aesop's fable of the lion's share? Both of those stories teach the same lesson. Now, when I speak to Catholic teachers about divestment, they speak about Catholic schools teaching about the whole person, as if other types of schools don't do this. And unfortunately, through a concoction of not fully understanding their own ethos, most of them, you know, are following the religion they're promoting. They're not actually bothering to find out what other types of schools actually do. And they miss that very simple fact that 95% of what is taught in terms of values or the person are exactly the same as what is taught in non-religious schools. Non-religious schools also teach the whole person. This makes it incredibly easy to convert from teaching in a Catholic school to a non-Catholic school. And the 5%, you know, I say it's 95%, about the 5%, if you're interested, is not is not something, you know, that, that's particularly, um, you know, that's particularly surprising to me anyway. It might be surprising to you. It's based on dogma and faith-forming sides of things. For example, that marriage is only between a man and a woman. Puberty is a gift from God, the worship of Jesus, and so on. So ultimately, if I was a Catholic converter, I'd simply be helping teachers along a very easy path. The concepts are 95% the same. Well, the difference is, well, for example, when going on from marriage is only between a man and a woman, the difference, let's hear the difference, Marriage is between two people that love each other. Puberty is a natural biological process. Worship? Well, worship who you like or worship no one. That's really your own business. You just won't be doing it in school anymore. Having said that, the job of a Catholic converter would probably require a manual, in my opinion. Yes, the curriculum exists, but one of the key strengths of the Catholics is that they produce school books and teacher books. And without those, I imagine most teachers would be quite lost, even the ones that claim to be Catholic. And I would claim the same for any ethical education programme that I would introduce into my new normal schools. So part of my job before I even met a teacher would be to produce the teacher manuals with step-by-step lessons. I really, really think, for a while at least, they need to be as prescriptive as the ones that Veritas produce. And once I got to converting a school, training would be given in the same way I remember being trained when I worked in a Catholic school back in the Alive O days. I remember being brought to some place and being trained in Alive O. Um, and um, yeah, you know, look, it was what it was. So what else would I have to look at being a Catholic converter? I, I, really, I really love this name. <laughs> I'm saying it now without laughing, but I, I, I'm beginning to hope the job if, if the job actually comes up, they will call it a Catholic converter. Anyway, what about prayers, sacraments, statues? Because almost all Catholic schools have or do these things. Prayers are usually done in the morning and evening and for transitions throughout the day. They're generally mindlessly said, if we're being honest. So why not simply replace them with other transitions? They don't have to be prayers. I don't think there's too many teachers in Ireland that would be unhappy, I guess, to put those prayers away. They don't really add anything particularly to the day. Another thing schools won't be sad to see the back of is sacramental preparation. In fact, many dioceses are already moving to the model of removing sacraments from schools. However, in a Catholic converted school, there would be no preparation whatsoever. 
teachers wouldn't be teaching the prayers or how to stand or sit or kneel. Instead, we'd be covering our second and sixth class ethics programme, which I promise you is much more fun. Finally, statues. Now, while we won't be having ceremonies where we chop down the statues a la Saddam Hussein in Iraq, there are two schools of thought in this. There's the community national school train of thought and the... the... I can't think of a name for the other school of thought, but I'm going to go with pragmatic. Or common sense, maybe. Community national school has this weird idea, and I don't really get it, that you can please everyone. So they tell schools to keep the statues but add symbols of all faiths in the school. So if the school has Catholics, Muslims and Sikhs, you'd have those symbols around the place. They'll come a bit unstuck when the atheists come along and I kind of find it funny when they try and shoehorn a science book or something like that, random, you know, as a symbol. Anyway, the pragmatic school of thought realises you can't please everyone and that religious symbols can be used as resources. So maybe the bigger statues might be donated back to the church where they belong and smaller items, they might be put into a resource box of Christian items, which can be used for learning about Christianity when we come to it in an ethics programme. I was also listening to episode two of that Catholic education podcast, and one of the contributors made a very odd statement that nobody seems to have any ideas about what would replace the structures of schools, i.e. boards of management. This was one of the things that was said. It was an odd statement because, firstly, we have... And secondly, they already exist. Basically, if there's no such thing as patrons, who would be in charge of schools? Now, if you work in a community national school, you'll know the answer is the ETB. Now, I know a lot of people would prefer their schools to be run by Archbishop McQuaid himself rather than the tyranny of the ETB. I mean, really, people do feel that way. It's, that's how bad the ETB uh, are considered by many. And I, and I get it. I get that. I mean, I'll be honest. I don't think I'd like to be run by the ETB in their current stance, I, but I'd probably take them over Archbishop McQuaid. But anyway, some of you might remember M. O. Kelly, for example. I mean, this is the reason. M. O. Kelly reporting on the ETB's teachers' dress codes, uh, which went on for pages and pages, listing mad things like fishnet stockings and rubber skirts among the banned items, as if teachers needed to be told. However, I don't think we need the ETBs running our schools. And do you know who I think would do a better job? And I, I mean, to be honest with you, I think they should run the education system anyway. Education centres with better resourcing. To me, education, education centres are by far the best thing in our education system in terms of training, but also of helping schools manage. They are stunningly good at it. And I think it would be really, really easy to take some of the good bits of the ETB, educate together and even the CPSMA and come up with a really excellent set of local education authorities. So yes, before the Catholic conversion can start his or her work, we do need a, bif- a buffer between school and state. And I think an LEA structure led by the education centres is the way to go. Isn't it funny? If you think about it, just pause for just a second and think about what I've said so far. I've spent more time dealing with silly structural things in this episode than actual teaching. I could come up with loads more. I mean, for example, I mentioned buses and insurance there before. The entire bus service would change in this new setup because everyone would simply go to their nearest primary school because there'd be no reason not to. If you're a long-time listener, I produced an episode on school insurance and how it was completely wrapped up in church control. So again, 
this would need to be untangled, though it would be very easy to do so. There are obviously other things like the panel, which is currently divided along religious lines. However, I don't think too many teachers would be complaining about the untangling of the panel system. In fact, it would be a good excuse to smash it to pieces and come up with a much simpler one. Essentially, the easiest part of being a Catholic converter would be in the curriculum. The hardest bits are the structural things, which aren't exactly hard to detangle, but they would need to be detangled. And honestly, I would love it if I was put in charge of doing all of it. So, in a way, you could take this episode to be my CV. I, I mean, I'm very lucky to be in a job where my human rights are respected, but I'm also very unlucky because in every other school in the county that I live in, that isn't the case. So, I've had to make up a new job for myself. A Catholic converter. And if I were the Minister for Education, well, I'd be applying for that job myself. So there you have it. Um, There you go. My dream job, a Catholic converter. And I think, uh, I suppose, if you're going to take away anything from this, really, we have, you know, and I think uh, uh, this is why I suppose people who work in religious schools don't see the gravity of, you know, what I argue all the time about why we need to get rid of church control of schools, because the thing is we're 95% the same and really the 5% to them aren't that important in so in the same way as the 95% really isn't that different so they don't I guess they don't really see the difference and that's that's fair enough I completely understand when you come from the same culture or the same background and you went to these schools you know some of this stuff isn't alien but we have to consider that 5% the bits which alienate uh, people like me and thousands and thousands of families around the country but also how easy it would be to remove them. You know, it's taken me half an hour to summarise everything. You know, there really isn't that much to it. And the easiest bits aren't actually the uh, the learning parts of what we teach. It's just things like name changes and stuff like that. Some people will say, oh, there'll be property and blah, 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 and all that. No, in my example, look, the Catholic Church do the right thing and hand it all over. Look, I know that's the fantasy part of it and the church wants to be uh, compensated for that. But I mean, you know, look, the thing is, that's what's happening right now with the uh, reconfiguration at the moment. The church are being compensated to the tune of five to eight grand a year um, for the community national schools to uh, not indoctrinate children. Um, I guess a deal could be done where the Catholic Church are funded by the state for a certain amount of time in order to make sure that what goes on in schools is human rights based. It's, it's such a ridiculous sentence, isn't it? Anyway, before I go down that dark road, uh, let me end it there. I want to thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, In a couple of weeks, uh, you'll be hearing my next interview and uh, I hope you'll enjoy that. Um, It's, uh, I must say, it was one I wasn't really expecting, kind of came on me, uh, where we learn a little bit about another education system, uh, but also uh, a little bit about, and again, the commonalities we have in countries that we admire sometimes um, uh, you know it's again the 95% the same and the 5% of what's different and how easy it is to do that but anyway that is it for two weeks time thanks so much for listening we'll chat to you again soon all very bad bye bye